And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Cheryl Jones back with us on our monthly trip. Cheryl is known for breaking ground as a news anchor, reporter, host, and meteorologist for major markets and cutting-edge networks, including CNN, the Weather Channel, and currently our investigative reporter for Coast to Coast. An honored journalist with a nose for news and stories behind the scenes, Cheryl is uniquely distinguished as the only television broadcaster to be both a news anchor and degreed meteorologist at the network level and a pioneer for women on television news broadcasting. And for that, Cheryl, thank you and congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm just glad we're all still alive. (laughs) We're all in there fighting our way, aren't we? Yes, we're clawing our way to the top, I'll tell you. It's a, it's a game of survival, isn't it? How would you rate 2023 as a year? Unprecedented on so many levels. It seems that every time you turn around, something else happens that is not the norm, that sets a precedent, and really very concerning. I think we need to take a real good overview of just what's happening and how it's going to affect us in the long term. You think it's gone by pretty fast this year? It's flown by. What month is this, October already? Yeah, we're we're rolling into October in another day. (laughs) It seems like we're uh, time traveling, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, with, you know, most of COVID's behind us, but the little things keep cropping up. They do, and people are concerned about what's happening in the future and what's planned for the future. I think that's a big concern. And not to forget that we need to keep our eye on the World Health Organization and what they're doing when they're not in the headlines. That's the problem. There's so many distracting stories that sometimes we lose sight of big things that are really happening 24-7 when people are sleeping. Well, I'm looking forward to this report tonight and also your reports in October, November, and Christmas area time as we get close to that. That's right. We have a lot going on. George, we're always in search of more answers. Tonight it's about citizen science with a passive radar UFO detector. Is citizen disclosure that we're not alone in the universe possible? Can citizens find proof that we're not alone with independently gathered scientific evidence? My guest tonight, Mitch Randall, has expertise in engineering, artificial intelligence, and radar. He's CEO and chief science officer of Ascendant AI Research, a Harvard Galileo Project research member, and believes citizen disclosure with independent proof without waiting for official government confirmation of other non-human life in our universe is now possible through a nationwide citizen network that's with Skywatch Passive Radar UFO Detector. That will also cross-check UFO data with a national UFO reporting center with Peter Davenport to detect real-time, non-human UFO flight patterns, he says, and put this critical information in the hands of the people. Listen now to our conversation. Hello, Mitch. Welcome to Coast. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure to be here. For listeners who may not be familiar with your work, Mitch, tell us just a little bit about what you do. Well, my background is engineering and physics, and I'm primarily an instrument development person. So I used to work at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, where I developed scientific instrumentation for weather scientists. So I built uh, airborne and ground-based radars and bi-static radars for weather research. And these have been fielded all, all around the world. My interest in 
this subject goes way back. I've been interested in this for a long time. I've been following a lot of stories, watching pretty much every documentary that's ever come across TV and a lot of the videos that have been made. And then more recently, got involved with the Galileo Project. And what did you do with the Galileo Project? So uh, the Galileo Project, it's a really, really, really exciting mix of very talented people. They wanted to uh, point their telescopes and their instrumentation at whatever's flying in the sky. So they need some kind of sensor that's going to detect where they are going to point. And that was my interest in getting in, into the Galileo Project, is I know the sensor that they're, that they're going to need. And that became Skywatch. Terrific. We'll be talking more about Skywatch, your passive radar designed to help citizens search for UFOs. But first, what's your quick response, Mitch, to the continuing information coming out from the official UFO UAP hearings? I think it's exciting. I mean, for one thing, when you're really well read into this subject, it's not like anything surprising came out in the hearing. But just the idea that it's now part of the congressional record, that you know, regular folks are going to hear about this through the regular media. Uh, that's very, very exciting to me. I do like, too, that there's actually some confrontation. There's David Grush saying, hey, you know, there's this information that points towards extraterrestrial craft. And then you have, you know, Sean Kirkpatrick saying that, you know, there's no indication of extraterrestrial objects or whatever. And so now we have actually something we can run down. This is a very serious thing for Congress, right? I mean, if we're being misled. We want to know what's going on. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. This is going to go somewhere. We don't know exactly where. Tell me a little bit about Skywatch. Where did the idea come from? What is passive versus active radar? Why is it a network? And what area does it cover? A really critical feature of Skywatch is it is the instrument that's really going to help do citizen disclosure. We'll really be able to detect UFOs and distinguish them from man-made objects. This idea came from Peter Davenport in the late 90s. Peter Davenport recognized that there's only so much you can do if you don't have radar data, and the government has a monopoly on radar data. But if the citizens could have that radar data in their hands, it's a whole different story. And Peter Davenport promoted this idea, but the technology didn't get turned into an actual product until I came along. So I joined the Galileo Project and went ahead and made the first prototype of that. The idea of a passive radar, though, is critical here because you can't expect regular citizens to put a giant radar transmitter in their backyard with a big dish and all this. Passive radar is very different. Passive radar piggybacks off of transmitted energy that's already in the sky from FM radio transmitters, from TV transmitters, etc. There's already transmitters transmitting into the sky. So you can make a radar operate just by receiving the echoes from that already existing energy out there. And then what we do is we make this into a network so that, you know, citizens around an area or whatever, they can have multiple of these receivers. And from that, you can detect actual position, just like a real, just like regular radar would show you a plan view, like a map that would show where objects are. Mitch, what are you trying to accomplish with Skywatch, with citizen disclosure? Don't we already have it somewhat with all of the photos, videos, and witness evidence that we have and the government radar? Disclosure is very special. Disclosure is basically an agreement that everybody agrees on the same thing and the controversy isn't there. I mean, it's, if the president comes up and says into a microphone, aliens have landed, then by the time that has happened, the scientific community is on board, the hearings have been had, and the public accepts that as an answer. But unfortunately, uh, we're seeing this disclosure that's happening in the hearings. 
going towards the direction of disclosure, but that's not like there's no controversy. I mean, some people are saying that, you know, this is a, a psyop and we don't know if um, this guy's actually got evidence. And I just heard that maybe the witnesses are, are backing out. So you never know what's going to happen. But the point of Skywatch is to put disclosure in the hands of the citizens. And how does that happen? By giving citizens radar data. But the idea is there will be no controversy when radars are detecting objects flying in the sky, doing things that humans can't. How does one distinguish with Skywatch between human-made and non-human-made objects? For Skywatch, we're looking for something very specific. We're looking for what we call objects outside the paradigm of science, or OOPS. OOPS is very special because let's say that a, a UFO emits some radiation and some scientific instrumentation picks up that radiation. Okay, that's interesting, but we can generate radiation. So that's not something that we can say, oh, that must be extraterrestrial because of that radiation. In fact, we kind of identified, or you know, I should say ATIP has come forward and said, here's five observables. These are the things that we see that, that these craft do that make them very special, make them stand out or make them an anomaly. The five observables, we have low observability is one of them, for example, which means its uh, signature might be, might be invisible in, in either radar or optical. But we do have things that can do that. So humans know how to make low observable aircraft. Another one is no control surfaces or lack of means of propulsion. But we do see balloons in the sky. So we see that these balloons don't have any, you know, they don't have wings. They don't have some flame shooting out of them. So humans can make that. So if you go through all the five observables, you get down to uh, one that's called instantaneous acceleration. And that's what we're focused on for Skywatch, because this instrument is specifically designed to detect whatever it is that humans can't do, that these objects do. And instantaneous acceleration is one of them. In other words, A craft is flying across the sky at Mach 2, which, by the way, we can do, but it suddenly takes a right-angle turn. So the acceleration associated with that is so extremely high, that's nothing that humans know how to do. We don't have materials that can withstand that kind of acceleration. We don't have a propulsion system that can do that. So if we see that, we, we can say we have a hypothesis that this is extraterrestrial because there's no human on Earth that can make this thing. And we also call that undebunkable, because if no humans can do it, and we can't even play tricks to do it, it becomes something that can't be debunked. There are other systems out there. What makes Skywatch different? And do these systems like Skywatch and the devices used with other UFO investigation groups work together? Yes, these all work together very well. Skywatch can detect exactly where an object is, exactly how fast it's going and its acceleration. And that's information that other groups would really benefit from, for example, and then point more instruments at that object and and look for other uh, things such as magnetic field, radiation, sound. There's a lot of things that we can look for. And this is in line with what NASA is trying to do as well. NASA is trying to, they're talking about having instrumentation that can start to scientifically measure these objects. So whatever they come up with and whatever the Galileo project comes up with, it's all going to complement each other. And so how does Skywatch differ from, let's say, MUFON's MADAR? Madar is not actually locating an object. This is the one thing that is really important about Skywatch. Skywatch is a unique instrument that can, on its own, detect and distinguish an object as an extraterrestrial object, or at least an oops. One of the things Madar does is look at magnetic field. So if they do see a magnetic field anomaly, and let's say that there's a, a network of Madar, 
and they see it go from state to state to state. That's interesting, but that's not something that you could publish in a scientific paper and the entire world would agree that that was an extraterrestrial object. Whereas Skywatch is specifically focused on obtaining data that will definitely distinguish whether an object is doing something that that humans cannot do. What about the possibility of utilizing cameras in the search for UFOs as well? Well, that's a great question because the first thing you think about is if we're going to detect a a UFO, why don't we point cameras into the sky and get good, clear pictures of UFOs? Unfortunately, that actually doesn't work so well. One of the biggest problems is an object doesn't have to be very far away for an all-sky camera to just see a dot. But then there's a a lot of other problems with that. For example, right now, uh, there's a thunderstorm traveling over where I'm at right now. And I look outside, and a camera's not going to do very well in that environment. It, the cloud ceiling's very low. It's got rain dripping down on everything. So on the other hand, radar is impervious to weather conditions. A Skywatch receiver can detect an object 100 miles away, whereas a camera can maybe detect an object 10 miles away, but it would be a dot. And, and I'm talking about an all-sky camera, which is what you would need in order to detect an object that's anywhere in the sky. And you're trying to cover the whole nation, and why is that important? The whole point of Skywatch is that it's a radar network, and we do that for a very specific reason. You know, it's great to come up with an instrument, let's say a suite of instruments, some scientific group comes up with, you know, cameras, uh, magnetic anomaly detectors, et cetera, et cetera. And this is going to, let's say that it's fielded in one in Maine, one in Florida, one in Washington state. The point is, what is actually the chance that UFO is going to fly by, you know, that does the anomalous behavior that we're looking for? To really do the right thing, we want to cover the entire nation. That gets our statistics way up, thousands and thousands of times more likely that we're going to see something if we're able to cover the whole nation. And we do that using a network. And we space the receivers in a way so that any object that flies by will be detected by multiple sensors at the same time. So we get redundancy. Would it detect anything that's airborne or... Can it pick up data information that can be used for other purposes and calibrations? Well, that's a great question. In fact, it can see airplanes quite well, and it can see even birds or drones. Pretty much anything in the sky you can see. But what we do, which is very interesting, is we use the airplane data to keep the Skywatch receivers in perfect calibration. So when an airplane flies by, and and I'm saying anywhere in a 100-mile radius, Skywatch will have a detection on it. But at the same time, we can use what's known as an ADSB receiver, and that's a something that receives what the plane is transmitting. The planes are actually transmitting their position and their velocity, and that's received by, um, you know, if you've seen these um, websites out there, you can actually look where all the airplanes are, and that's all data that's coming in from these ADSB receivers. So that's a technology that's out there. It's easy to access, and we use that to calibrate. So we should be able to detect exactly where the airplane is. And if in any way that doesn't match with what the airplane is reporting its position, then we know that we can improve the calibration by adjusting the the parameters. What a novel idea, Cheryl. Uh, Yes, it is. There you go, George. An idea from the past from our friend Peter Peter Davenport, too, was then put in there from the National uh, UFO Reporting Center. But it's an idea from the past whose time has come. Passive radar that will help tell the difference between whether it's a human-made or non-human-made object. And one thing of interest, you know how we always have had these uh, complicated uh, names of organizations 
and uh, uh, agencies within this whole issue that were strange. He finally came up with something that was easy to remember and pronounce and simple. Oops, Mitch referred to that, as you noticed, uh, as the object outside the paradigm of science. So I thought that was good, that he at least came up with something that was easy and simple. And it's also interesting that Skywatch will utilize the scientific data from receivers that are already there, and it's in line with what NASA is trying to do with instrumentation to scientifically measure unidentified flying objects. And here's something where artificial intelligence is working for a good cause. Well, there are a lot of good causes with AI. It's just that that line that sometimes is across that, can create a very bad situation or a situation of danger, and I think that's what everyone is concerned about and focused on is trying to hit the happy medium. But when I come back, I will continue my conversation with Mitch more about the Skywatch UFO passive radar and citizen disclosure using that independent, non-human sky data and Skywatch as a DIY scientific lab instrument in the hands of citizens, non-engineers, many of us, on home rooftops. And he's really sure that uh, somebody eventually is going to discover something. He really is, with all the cross-checking that's going on, and and, uh, we'll talk more about that in the second segment. But he's very confident. So you got to hand it to people who have this kind of confidence and who go uh, ahead, and they have the ability, the expertise to create these instruments and to make it all work as uh, the engineer that he is. So uh, my fingers are crossed. And he's teamed up with Peter Davenport, whom we have a lot of respect for. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's an app, too, that uh, they're working on that will be incredible. If it all comes together and he has no reason to think it won't, um, that should be available in the not-too-distant future. All right. We're going to come back in just a moment with Cheryl Jones in Part 2 right here on Coast to Coast AM. Next hour, we open up the open lines. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Norrie, along with Cheryl Jones. Cheryl, have you ever seen anything that you would say might have been a UFO? I've seen something that fits the description of uh, one of the five observables, and that is uh, acceleration, instantaneous acceleration, where a light in the sky just immediately makes a a right-hand turn, a 90-degree turn, uh, and then disappears. So I've seen that twice. Both times we're in Kansas City. Amazing. Okay, go into part two for us. All righty, George. I continue my conversation with instrument developer and entrepreneur Mitch Randall. He's a research member of Harvard's Galileo Project, and he built a proof-of-principle prototype of the Skywatch UFO passive radar detector and proved in the peer review that the concept that he has put together, developed, and uh, actually works. And it works by distinguishing between human-made and non-human-made objects in the sky, which Mitch says is the key to citizen disclosure. And that's all in his paper. He was lead author in the Journal of Astronomical uh, Instrumentation. It's linked up in his website and here on Coast, all the details and how that's all put together. And he'll share more with us about how Skywatch will utilize that scientific data from receivers that are already available with the airlines and how 
It interacts with other UFO information sources, including NASA, who recently stated it's looking for instrumentation to scientifically measure these unidentified flying objects. So you'll talk about how Skywatch works from rooftops of average people, non-engineers who just want to keep an eye to the sky and help search for UFOs. So I did ask him if he was concerned about any possible government overreach overreach of the independent UFO data Skywatch, uh, any, any information that Skywatch might collect. And he had a very good answer. And I asked, what also does this mean to citizen disclosure? More now in my conversation with Mitch Randall. Mitch, is passive radar research such as this accepted by the scientific community? Yes, very much so. Uh, passive radar is not a new technology. Passive radar has been out for a long time. I even fielded passive radar equipment for weather research back in the 90s. It's got some really great advantages. One of them is it's safe. There's no transmitter. There's no energy that it's transmitting that has to be licensed or in any way regulated. At the same time, it's it's inexpensive, too, because it doesn't have that transmitter in there. It's just a receiver. It's just basically a more sophisticated radio receiver. And this allows us to have many receivers. You know, we can make this network relatively inexpensively, that will cover up, you know, a large area like the U.S. How can you verify that you are getting good data with Skywatch? Is it scientific quality? And how can you verify that? The data that Skywatch collects can be verified to be of scientific quality because we are constantly calibrating it with aircraft using their ADSB reported positions and velocities. And In fact, you know, as I mentioned before, my career was in making scientific instrumentation for weather radar research. So I understand what that entails. It entails a design that's up to the standards of scientific uh, instrumentation. In other words, it's not going to drift. It's going to be stable. There's going to be a paper written about it that describes how it functions and what its errors bars are. So there'll be no question as to the validity of the data that comes out of the Skywatch network. You said that passive radar is a known technology and that it's safe and relatively inexpensive. How inexpensive will it be for consumers when you get it to market? And how many receivers will it take to cover the U.S. in the network that you would like to see achieved? You know, it's hard to put a number on there, and I always like to under-promise and over-deliver. But our plan is to make consumer receivers that are as inexpensive as can be so that consumers can actually afford it and put it on their roof and become part of this network. And we think it would take about 10,000 receivers to completely cover the United States. But it doesn't mean that the system isn't effective until it has all 10,000 receivers. Even a, a city with five receivers can completely be covered because of this 100-mile radius that each receiver has. So uh, we can go a long way with even a sparse network. But our hope is that the cost will be low enough that we can really cover the entire United States. Do you have any idea how low the cost will be? Uh, We can't say for sure, but we certainly think three digits are under. Can consumers put this device together and set it up at home by themselves, or does that require tech support? We're very focused on this. So the development that we have planned is to really make a full consumer product out of this. In other words, it has an operator manual. It's made to be foolproof so that there's only one way to put the connectors on. And when you put those connectors on, it works. What the thing is, is going to be a small box that would sit inside your house and a little antenna that you would put on your roof and a cable that comes down. And then it connects via Wi-Fi into your 
home network and that's it. So this will be a very straightforward for a consumer to set up, you know, as easy as hooking up a printer. So it'll be a plug and play. A plug and play, yes. Mitch, what if the government should decide to ban these devices if they became so successful in interacting with each other and providing all of this citizen disclosure information regarding UAPs, UFOs? What would happen then? Well, wouldn't that be interesting? What is it in the sky that we're not supposed to be seeing? I mean, those are the questions that would come up. I mean, obviously, I don't have an answer for you other than we would obviously fight it. In fact, the citizenry would fight it. Hopefully, congressmen would be asking that question for us because this were a nationwide network and everybody has access to the data as planned and we're seeing objects flying around and then it gets shut down. That's a national issue. That's something that you know, humankind needs to address. So again, I don't know exactly what we would do, but boy, wouldn't that be interesting. Do you believe Skywatch could be used to verify what the government is telling us or could it produce data that is that sophisticated? Yes. And I think it's actually critical. Well, let me just say this. Right now, we're, it looks like disclosure. Well, especially people in this community is so excited. Hey, we've hit disclosure. It's happening. We're on the path. But it wouldn't surprise me, and I know it's possible, that this could be put back in, you know, this toothpaste could go back in the tube, as they say. I, I wouldn't be surprised. So we don't really know if we're going to get disclosure from the government. And for that reason, we really need this network, because this network will provide scientific data. In fact, it will provide data that any citizen could look at the screen. You know, there'll be a web page that shows this, right? And shows the objects and what they're doing in real time. Even a citizen could look at this and say, okay, I know that that's not something that humans made. So we can force disclosure through the citizens because they have access to this data and because scientists can use this data to make their case. So that we can force disclosure whether the government does it or not. But if the government does it, if the government does come out with disclosure, one thing I worry about is how do we know that whatever the government is telling us is, is true? How do we know that the disclosure that they're disclosing is the reality of what's happening? Well, this is where Skywatch can come in post-disclosure because we can still monitor the skies and we can see what's going on and we can see if we believe whatever we see there matches what the government is telling us. And I think it's critical to be able to have both capabilities. Okay, Mitch, so let's say I get one of these and I put it on my roof. And when I look at it or tune into it, can I see all the returns from not just my own device, but from all the Skywatch networks around the country? Yeah, let me explain how this works. So there's a network, right? All these receivers combine their data into a, a pyramid of open source servers that are computing what this data all means. So you can tune into a, or I shouldn't say tune in, you can go to a website that will show you a plan view of where all the objects are in the sky. But at the same time, because you have a receiver, you can see the raw data that your receiver is actually picking up. And you can see, um, it's not exactly uh, obvious to interpret it exactly, but you can see all the detections. It's, it's uh, actually a really cool display. And there's examples of that. For example, I have a video that shows that that's online. Could it help people get videos of UFOs or UAPs, possibly? Yeah, Skywatch shows you exactly in the sky where every object is. And when an anomalous object comes by, you can see that, and you can run outside and, and try to take a video. Well, that video can actually be something that we can use. So it could help with all kinds of reporting of UAPs and UFOs, scientifically and journalistically and otherwise. Yeah, in fact, we plan on having an app that would be a companion to Skywatch. And the idea of the app is 
if we know your position and we know what your what video you've taken, and we also have the Skywatch data, we can further triangulate and further resolve the object. And it's always nice if it happens to be close enough that you can actually see the shape of the object. That's really, really interesting. What's the status of Skywatch right now, Mitch? What remains to be done to make it available for citizens who want to have a device and do their own search by Skywatch for UFOs, UAPs, or whatever else may be found in the skies? So with the Galileo Project, I built a proof-of-principle prototype, and that proved that the concept works. Um, Then we also went ahead and published a paper. I'm the lead author on a paper in the Journal of Astronomical Instrumentation that describes exactly what Skywatch is and how it works and what the challenges are for the next steps scientifically. Where we are right now is we want to turn this now from a scientific laboratory instrument into this consumer-based network. And there's a lot of work that has to go into that because you want to be able to have an instrument that achieves the scientific quality data and is calibrated to those standards, but at the same time can be fielded by consumers that aren't necessarily, you know, engineers. So that's what we have to do right now is develop that product, figure out how to make it foolproof, figure out how to bring the cost down to where it's going to get, you know, People who are excited about it can actually afford it and put it on their roofs. What do you want people to know, whether they're new to the topic, just now getting interested, or they're veteran ufology researchers? What do you want people to know about how passive radar like Skywatch fits into the current situation with such increasing public interest now, finally, in UFOs or UAPs? The key thing is I want people to understand that Skywatch can enable citizen disclosure that's the real key. Uh, we're not just going to fiddle around, you know, with a, a little measurement that, you know, makes a little blurb in a newspaper. What I'm talking about is this Skywatch network should be able to put disclosure in the hands of the citizens because we'll have the data in our own hands. So we don't have to ask for permission to get this data. And it will have the caliber and the quality to be able to detect these objects outside the paradigm of science which proves that they're not human-made objects. So this is putting disclosure in the hands of the citizens is, as you say, disclosure is very high public interest right now, but also what's high is public frustration because we see disclosure, we get so close to it, but then it gets derailed. And, you know, this has been happening, by the way, throughout ufology for a long time. There's been a lot of whistleblowers actually that have come out, but it hasn't gone anywhere And for all we know, that's what will happen with this disclosure. But finally, citizens can be holding the power of disclosure in their own hands. And that's what I, that's really the key to Skywatch and what this is all about. Do you feel comfortable trusting everything that you see that's given to the public from the government sources? I do not. There's been enough things the government has done over the years that we, I don't think it's a big surprise if we say we might not be totally believing that. So I, again, I think it's very important that we have the ability to have, we have Skywatch and have the ability to confirm what's actually happening. Could it be said that now more than ever, we need to trust to verify? Exactly. I think trust but verify is the key. Where can people find out more about your work with Skywatch and keep up with your progress? You can go to ascendantai.com skywatch. For more information on Skywatch, it also has a link to the 
paper that's published in the Journal of Astronomical Instrumentation. Okay, and can you spell that? www.ascendantai.com forward slash S-K-Y-W-A-T-C-H. Mitch, good luck with the launch of Skywatch. We hope it's another step closer to helping citizen disclosure on this amazing journey of discovery that we're all on. Thank you so much for sharing this with us here tonight here on Coast. Thank you very much. It's going to happen, Cheryl, isn't it? Whether we, yes, whether we're ready for it or not, it looks like uh, we're heading in that direction. So I think it's great that that there's an effort to help citizens be, become more empowered and more interested in what's going on and and uh, providing an, a way for people to do it with a simple DIY instrument setup. What gave him this initial idea? Well, he credits Peter Davenport. He said that Peter uh, had this idea back in the 90s, but he didn't know how to put it together, nor did anyone else along the way. And Mitch has a rare combination of a lot of skills and expertise in everything from engineering to uh, radar uh, to physics and instrument development. So with all of those skills, he was able to bring it all together, and he said he'd been thinking of it for a long time too, but he really gives Peter Davenport a lot of credit for the original concept, but he was able to bring it from the thought process and the idea process uh, over into actual product development. Up next, we'll have open lines with Cheryl Jones. It doesn't just have to have questions related to Skywatch. It could be just about on any topic. And she'll jump aboard, and I'll be there with her, too, on Coast to Coast AM. So the open lines will be next. Don't touch your dial. Find out more about tonight's guest. Log on to coasttocoastam.com.